1: with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. In today's episode, we're featuring the Arrowhunter Kestrel, a hunting saddle that is the result of years of development and prototyping. You'll learn about Bobby's involvement with Arrow Hunter and the design of the Kestrel, as well as some of the new features that are making their way into a soon-to-be-released Kestrel model, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Finally. For those of you who are still on the fence or really just don't understand the whole saddle hunting thing, we're going to be going into detail on some of the advantages of the system and common questions that we see. So I guess to kick this thing off, um, why don't you give a little bit of background about the evolution of arrow hunters, saddle systems, where they started off, how they kind of dipped into the market and how their line of products kind of evolved to get to the current Kestrel.
0: So in 2013, I believe it was, um, at the time it was just New Tribe. So New Tribe is the parent company to Arrow Hunter. So if you think about it, Arrow Hunter is like the hunting side of the market, whereas New Tribe is the recreational and professional tree climbing side or recreational side of it. So in 2013, then New Tribe decided that they were gonna release a hunting style harness. Basically, all that harness was was a camouflaged version of one of their climbing harnesses. So they slapped some camo fabric on it and said it was made for hunters, basically. And after everything I had done with Trophy Line, my email inbox and um, Archery Talk inbox just got flooded with messages asking if I knew anything about this new saddle. So obviously, I had never heard of them, had no dealings with them prior to that. So I simply sent them a message, sent them a link to my YouTube and sent them some, um, basically questions that I had got via messenger and stuff and said, Hey, you know, this is what I do. I review these things. Um, I've worked with this company. Let me know your thoughts. And I didn't hear from them for, uh, probably a month or two. And then they got back to me and said, yeah, sure. We'll send you one to test out. So they sent me one and that was model was called the arrow hunter. Um, So used it. It was not really designed for what hunting was. Um, So I made up a video for them, sent it to them, basically of my thoughts, my review on it. And it wasn't the nicest video in the world by any means. Um, And after probably a month or so, they reached out and said, will you help us design something specifically for hunters? So that's kind of how it all got started. And then from that day on, uh, we started working to develop what ultimately become the evolution, which was the second model of saddle produced. And it was a lot better than the arrow hunter, but the problem was it still had a lot of the arborist bells and whistles on it basically. So it had a lot of metal, a lot of straps. It was really confusing for hunters. So once we released the evolution from that day forward, we were already testing the next model for the Kestrel, what ended up being the Kestrel ultimately. Um, so really I'd never hunted from the Evolution except for the year before it was released Um, and then kind of the same thing with the Kestrel up until the Kestrel was released I hunted from it Um, but the Kestrel took us three years to design because we were trying to make it as perfect as possible and it took us forever to find that uh, one thing that made the difference and if any of you are familiar with the Kestrel it's basically the side adjustment straps that are kind of on the outside of your thighs when you're sitting in the saddle so it can change the cup of the saddle we were able to slimline it make it lighter make it more simple um, and add buckles that people needed uh, to quick release to be able to get in and out of it so it wasn't as confusing so that's kind of how the whole arrow hunter evolved um, from the arrow hunter model of saddle to the company arrow hunter
1: and when the original arrow hunter came out at that point in time was there any other saddles available to purchase
0: uh, I believe the Guido's Web uh, was the only model that was still available to purchase.
1: Okay, so Trophy Line um, was was not. For sale yeah, Trophy at that Line point went
0: anymore. out of. Yeah, I think Trophy Line went out of business in like 2008. So this was five years after Trophy Line went out of business, but um, Guido's Web was basically the only manufacturer of saddles at the time.
1: And they're really quite different in their overall design. The Guido's Web and the Arrow Hunter, you know, all the way to the Kestrel.
0: Yeah, the Guido's web is like a a recliner for a tree, basically. It's very comfortable to hunt from, um, but it's very difficult to hunt from because of the way it was designed and the way it is. Um, It just makes it very difficult because how big and bulky it is, but it is comfortable.
1: And with the old trophy lines that you had used before kind of getting involved with Arrow Hunter, how did their offerings compare with what you guys developed with the Kestrel?
0: So obviously, you know, I, I was on Trophy Line Pro Staff for a couple of years based off YouTube videos that I had done um, when I was in college. And, you know, it was a, th- the concept was there. The design and execution of the product was very, very poor. Um, so it worked, but it required a lot of, it was not the most comfortable thing. So you fidgeted and had to adjust it a lot throughout a hunt. So obviously that's what I took a lot of my knowledge to help build the Arrow Hunter brand or the products from. Um, but I've hunted from more saddles than just the trophy line. I've hunted from pretty much every saddle that's ever been made. Because um, you know you obviously got to try them all to figure out which one's the best. So I took all that knowledge and brought it to help building the, the Kestrel.
1: And so the Kestrel right now, uh, I guess if anybody's listening and they still haven't seen a Kestrel or know what one looks like, you can go to arrowhunter.us or go to the uh, Bobby's YouTube channel, Boudreaux Boswell, and you'll be able to see what we're talking about. But essentially, the saddle has two large loops that you would hook your bridge into and the bridge comes pre-installed. And it also has Lyman's loops sewn into the hips. And then it has leg loops, which are detachable with quick-release buckles. And that's really the only... Uh, strap, so to speak, on that saddle. And then there's MOLLE webbing attachments on the back side of it. And the fabric itself is a, it's a Cordura, right? It's
0: two layers of Cordura fabric.
1: Okay, yep, that's what I thought. So overall, compared to an Arbor saddle, it's very minimalist and stripped down. There's no, I guess, features that you wouldn't need as a hunter. There's no belay loop to get in the way. You know, I'd used, prior to the Kestrel, a rock climbing harness paired with a sit drag. And I have a YouTube video on that setup. And one of the downsides to using a rock harness as a saddle is having that belay loop, I thought. I really didn't need it for doing things like going to the bathroom or putting the the saddle or the the rock harness, taking it on or off. It was always just kind of in the way. And um, so when I got the Kestrel, at first I was a little bit um, surprised that there was no belay loop on it but after using it, I was like, really, there is no need for it.
0: So that brings up a good point. Let's kind of touch on the difference between an arborist saddle and a hunting saddle and why they're different. So with an arborist saddle, for the most part, they're using, uh, ropes over a limb to ascend vertically, basically. So when they're, when they're using their saddle, they are more horizontal, um, as they go up, they're not, Standing or sitting, they're basically like you're laid back in a recliner. So the saddle's designed to hold you with your back, your butt, and the back of your legs, basically. Whereas with a hunting saddle, because we're attached to the trunk of the tree or the the whatever you want to call it, I just spaced out um, the main part of the tree, basically. So we're basically either sitting down or leaning away from that tree. So our saddle needs to strictly be our butt. We don't need anything more than coverage for your butt, basically. Kind of like an enlarged kid's swing set. So that's the main difference. With most of your arborist saddles, they have like a very large back piece, um, very wide leg pads, and maybe a couple straps that go across your butt because they're designed to be laying horizontal. So when you translate that to what hunters use is hunters lean away from the tree. Those straps that go underneath the back of your thigh begin to cut off circulation to your thigh. The very large um, back or waistband kind of gets in the way and impedes what you need to do from a hunting standpoint. So that's the biggest difference between a hunting saddle and an arborist saddle.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I've had, I have friends that are arborists and I've had them show me their rigs and you know, a couple of them don't even use them for hunting. They use other saddles for hunting. Because their arborist saddles—the one they use day in and day out for work—they are way heavier, a lot more padded, so they're meant to be used all day. They're comfortable, but all that extra weight—they don't breathe all that well. And there was metal everywhere. They made a lot of noise just handling them.
0: Yeah, they're not worried about noise like we are. You know, they have carabiners hanging off of everywhere, making all kinds of noise when they go up. And that's been the hardest thing to develop a hunting saddle with basically a non-hunting company is they don't really, they weren't able to understand how a saddle was used from a hunting aspect. All they've known is, you know, recreational and professional tree climbing and trimming for 35 years or whatever it is now. So for them to wrap their head around the way we use it is completely different. was, was very difficult and it's still something, you know, even developing today, it's, it's difficult to try to explain something to them.
1: Was there a lot of back and forth or arguing about certain things you could or couldn't get away with?
0: Not really arguing, um, more of trying to trying to understand. So there was a lot of prototypes. I probably have from the original Arrow Hunter to what is now the Kestrel. I probably have thirty five prototype saddles that were done within that time frame. Um, so you know, we would talk on the phone, maybe exchange a couple email pictures, and then they would send me a prototype, and it'd be like you know, that's close, but you need, we need to do this and this. And it was very difficult to do it long distance. So this time I was in Virginia and they were in Oregon. So it was very hard to kind of get that communication going across, especially when they didn't understand what we needed as hunters.
1: Where a lot of things just kind of comfort related or more kind of metal versus non-metal connection points? Metal and-
0: versus, yeah, metal versus non-metal and just the design aspect of it. Um, you know, we wanted... You know, for example, you know, like when we were going from the evolution or from the Arrow Hunter to the evolution, you know, basically having that one big seat under their butt, they couldn't understand why we just needed one big seat for our butt and we didn't need anything underneath of our legs or on our back, basically, our lower back. So it was so hard for them to wrap their head around that. Um, And ultimately, what it took was I actually had to fly out there a few times and, and actually be there with the designer, Casey Jones. Um, and sewing so that he could look at me in a tree, understand how I used it. And then he would kind of get the idea of, okay, I, now I know why you need it this done this way. Um, And Casey's amazing with being able to look at something and come up with a way to fix it by sewing. Um, You know, he's been doing this for decades and obviously his sewn up a lot of saddles so he knows the safety of it um, and how you can do something to make it safe as possible Um, so it's not pulling on stitchings a certain way or a different
1: way you know from a safety standpoint knowing how to stitch certain things and what type of thread to use and what type of machine you need that's one of the things that scares me a little bit about diy saddles guys modifying sit drags and stuff like that it's like yeah you can totally do it right but there's a lot of risk there if you don't know what you're doing could get the wrong thread thread that's not meant to handle the kind of loads or you're stitching the wrong pattern. There's definitely a lot of expertise that goes into making a safe saddle.
0: Yeah. Or just, you know, the way a saddle pulls where two pieces of webbing are sewn together, you know, you're pulling on those stitchings basically, you know, and if you don't sew that angle correctly, um, or like you said, use the right thread, it can very easily tear those threads over time.
1: Are there any standards that go into, I guess, not only hunting saddles, probably not much for hunting saddles, but recreational tree climbing saddles and arborist saddles? Are there standards for manufacturing?
0: Yeah, ANSI has a standard um, for, I think it's what they call a working harness, basically. There's a standard built in for, um, to build a saddle to ANSI standards, basically. So that's what obviously the Kestrel's built into because there's no, there's not currently, let me phrase that, there's not currently any standards for a saddle in the hunting market. Yes, we have the TMA, the Tree Stand Manufacturer Association, which is just a giant joke, Um, (laughs) but they have standards for a tree stand, climbing aids, and a fall restraint device, but they do not have standards for a saddle currently. That being said, there is rumors that they are considering coming up with saddle-specific standards, and if they do that, Um, you know, it would be wise to have Arrow Hunter or New Tribe have a seat at the table because they've been building saddles for 30 plus years. So they know kind of safety standards from the ANSI aspect and what's needed to be brought into the hunting market to make sure that hunters that use saddles are secure and safe in doing so.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I have done Metro hunts here in the Twin Cities. And one of the very firm rules that they have is you cannot go on the hunt without using a safety harness that's a five-point restraint system that has TMA approval, and they make zero exceptions to that rule, despite the fact that you could make a strong argument that hunting out of a saddle is probably safer than hunting with a a five-point TMA-approved harness because there's no shock load to recover from.
0: Exactly. Yeah, TMA is is an interesting uh, association, I guess. Uh, Basically, they don't It's a stamp of approval is all TMA is. They do not do any testing. They do not do any regulatory aspect. They basically say that a product passed standards in which they approve. So that might be sustaining a, you know, 4,000 pound pressure on a platform for a tree stand. Um, So an independent company does the testing TMA basically says, okay, the company provided us with results that says that their product passed these standards. So we give it our TMA stamp of approval.
1: So it takes a lot of money for a company that's building a new tree stand or a new harness to actually get that testing done, pay the third party to get the testing done. And then I'm assuming they'd have to pay a fee to TMA to get that stamp. Exactly. Okay. I mean, there are some somewhat of parallels to like the uh, industry that I work in uh, where we'll make medical devices and we'll build them to certain standards and we have to pay to get those standards. Um, however, we would then be able to do our own testing and submit that data to the FDA. Then the FDA reviews the data. So it's a little bit different, right. but kind of some parallels there.
0: Yeah. And you know, most big box retailers, Cabela's things like that won't hold, won't have your product in store unless it's TMA certified because they see it as kind of a liability issue if it doesn't meet these particular standards, for example. So that's the biggest issue. Um, Is that an issue? Because most things now are going all online. So you can theoretically not need the TMA standards to sell a product in the hunting market anymore you know, it's, it's interesting. And then you consider, you know, look at what TMA has allowed in the hunting industry for fake tree stands, knockoff tree stands, stuff like that. You know, it kind of throws
1: a black eye to them. Do you think that before kind of the age of online sales, do you think that not having TMA approval for a lot of the harnesses was an issue that kind of prevented saddle hunting from getting as big as it should have gotten?
0: Absolutely. By not having TMA Um, pre-internet sales, pre-social media. That was really your only way to get out there. I mean, even when we were younger, you know, you grabbed the Cabela's magazine when it came in the mail to look to see what new products were in it because you basically had the catalog memorized. And I can remember the first time I saw a Trophy Line tree saddle in there with TMA approval on it. Um, So obviously that made a big deal for Trophy Line. You know, now that we've kind of gotten this digital age where social media can really pump things up and sell things, without needing big box retailers and things like that. It's really changed saddle hunting market. And that's why you've seen saddle hunting grow so much in the past, you know, five years, basically.
1: So how was Trophy Line able to get a TMA stamp of approval?
0: Trophy Line did it under a fall restraint device. So they actually got their saddle stamped as a safety harness. So it was a five, that's why it had to have shoulder straps. That's why it had a um connection point in the back of the saddle for a tether. Um they had one of those attachment points in the back of it. So they got it tested that way as a safety restraint device to get the TMA stamp of approval even though that product was not used by most people in the way it obtained its TMA
1: certification. So was it actually tested by basically dropping it from that tether on the back of the the shoulder straps that nobody would ever use?
0: Yes. <laughs> Interesting. That is how it yes. Yeah, so they they literally kind of beat the system by beating them at their own game. Testing it is something it wasn't going to be designed to be used for. Um, so you know, did that make it safer? Maybe, uh, you know. But it wasn't being tested for the way it's being designed. So that's the biggest issue with TMA now is they really don't have an understanding of how saddles work and are used in hunting. So they there's no testing protocol for that. So hopefully they will develop some sort of logical testing standards for saddles for the way
1: saddles are designed to be used. To your point earlier, it's not as important I don't think now that we have the the digital age and the social media because we have people all over, you know, Instagram or YouTube or whatever showing you how safe a saddle can actually be and how just about impossible it is to fall out of them. And I think that alone is turning a lot of guys minds around just by seeing stuff like that. Yeah. And just seeing the lightweight of it and the versatility of it compared
0: to traditional tree stands.
1: With the Kestrel, we talked about the design, I guess, a little bit, the kind of the the history and the background. If a guy is currently a hunter that uses a tree stand, either hang on or climber or whatever, what kind of differences or learning curves are they going to have to you know, get across to be able to use something like a kestrel? And how does the actual hunt ability compare to a tree stand?
0: So the learning curve is probably the biggest hurdle with saddle hunting. Um, most people are familiar with tree stands and obviously they're pretty basic. You can look at them and know how to use them. Um, pretty simple to put on a tree to sit down in it. And that's basically all there is to it. With saddle hunting, there's, there's so many variables that can affect your comfort such as how high you put your tree strap up, how long your bridge is, um, you know, the position in which you're hunting from, whether you're standing, sitting or leaning. Um, so there's a lot of variables in there that can affect your comfort that you've got to kind of play with. So, you know, for example, if you run a a high tree strap height, so at your head or higher with a longer bridge and you like to sit down lower, you know, that can have an effect on the comfort that you feel in the saddle. Whereas with a tree stand, you really don't have any adjustability to the tree stand. So you're either sitting or standing. There's no real way to adjust that comfort for you. So that's what brings in the versatility of the saddle is that it's adjustable to each and every person out there who wants to hunt from one um, and their particular style of hunting. Would it so be, I'm
1: more of a, go ahead. Would it be safe to say that a saddle is not necessarily for the guy who just wants to spend his money, throw it in a closet and take it out the night before the hunt? and get ready to go versus somebody who is, you know, willing to sort of take the plunge and willing to fight through the learning curve and figure it out. And after they've gotten to that point and accomplished that learning curve, they're now better off than they would have been with the tree stand.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who puts time and effort into learning it, um, is going to benefit so much more out of it. But that being said, also you look at everything else that we do with hunting, um, most things like shooting our bow, for example, if you would, if you played with a Kestrel as much as you shot your bow or while you shot your bow, um, even for the typical person who pulls it out the night before season, if they don't, a lot of them don't do that with a bow. There are some people who do that, but if you just spent that same amount of time tinkering with your, your tree stand or your, your Kestrel in this case to learn that so that you, you can develop a better system for you, you're going to be a lot further along. And that's why saddle hunting has boomed so much in this past five years is you started to see these more hardcore, dedicated hunters that instead of season being a month before season through season to a month after season, you're starting to see people that shed hunt all the time, that scout all the time. that spend so much more time involved in hunting that they've figured out that they're things as simple as a tree stand can be evolved on if they spend a little bit more time with that particular type of product. So in this case, the Kestrel, you know, they're spending a little bit more time with their tree stand. They found more downfalls. Now they found the Kestrel. They can spend more time figuring out the Kestrel, learning how to use the Kestrel and making it work for their particular type of system.
1: Well, and what's nice now too, is that those same type of guys are very often willing to share what they've learned. And say here, here's how i found is the most comfortable way to set my, my Kestrel up. Here's where I like to have my tether. Here's how I like to have my bridge set up. Here's what I like to use for a platform. And then other people are able to take a shortcut and try that and say, oh yeah, this is pretty comfortable. Or maybe I can go deviate down an inch and it's a little bit better for me.
0: And that's the information that wasn't out there 10 years ago that has been. You know, ultimately that's how my whole saddle journey, whatever you want to consider this started was I was basically just a a guy with a trophy line tree saddle. And once I figured it out, I wondered why there wasn't millions of people using this to hunt from. So I just posted a thread on Archery Talk one day that said, Hey, I've got a saddle. It's fantastic. What are your questions? And I'll answer them. So people started posting questions about, well, how do you put the tree strap on? How do you sit in it? What do you use to climb with and all that? And so I just started answering questions. It became easier to make videos to answer questions. So that's how I did it. Um, put them all up on a YouTube channel and
1: that has all led to this currently. So that learning curve initially for you, was it pretty challenging? Did you ever miss out on opportunities as you were trying to figure out how to use the saddle and blow opportunities by making too much movement or anything like that? it was miserable (laughs) i will just say that it was
0: literally miserable i can remember being so frustrated because with the trophy line you had this long webbing and you had to like wrap around the tree and tie some knot in it and i can remember being in central arkansas you know first part of season it's like 90 degrees i'm sweating my butt off and i'm literally cussing trying to tie this tree strap around the tree thinking, why in the heck am I doing this? I could be sitting in a tree stand by now and not having any problems with any of this. And literally it took me so long to figure it out. But once I figured it out, I memorized my process, my process for climbing the tree, how far apart sticks need to be, where I put my bow hanger, how high I tie that strap, how that strap needs to go, buckle in the right hand, wrap it around the tree. And once I figured that out, it was easy from there on out, but it was four months five months that it took me to figure out this process and then once I figured it out that's when the light bulb went off in my head like holy cow why are people not using this system
1: I had the advantage of having places like the Saddle Hunter Forum and other YouTube videos such as yours so that when I got my castrol and even before that when I was when I put together that sit drag rock harness system I was basically able to set it up in a position that I knew it already be decent And I was like, oh, this isn't too bad at all, you know, in the matter of minutes, maybe even hours to, you know, fully fine tune it and tweak it so that it was totally comfortable and had all the movement in the world. So guys now have all the advantage of that information out there and really can cut down the learning curve a lot. Somebody who's going out and wants to try saddle hunting now can go out and order a Kestrel, receive it in the mail, look up some YouTube videos and be totally comfortable and ready to hunt in a matter of minutes.
0: Absolutely. If they wanted to spend the time to get on YouTube, get on saddle hunter forum, um, read about them, they could easily be able to diagnose their issues of comfort that they have, you know, before they even get their saddle so that when they sit in it and they go, okay, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling hip pinch. I need to lengthen my bridge or I need to lower my tree strap height. They'd be able to diagnose these issues really quickly. Um, so that they would be able to get into that hunting system quickly, understand how it works and realize how adjusting a strap can affect comfort felt in the saddle.
1: Are there any sort of frequently asked questions or common issues that guys will have that there's easy fixes for?
0: Um, yeah, probably like one of the biggest ones is a lot of people try to run their, their tree strap too high. Um, you know, for me, I like mine higher than most people. Most people like it around their head level. I like mine above the head level, but what that does is they'll feel like the, they're sliding out of the saddle. So they're feel like the sli- saddle is sliding up their back and they're sliding down out of it. Um, so that obviously tells me that their tree straps too high. Um, often with that, if your tree strap is too high, your bridge is also probably too long. So you can shorten your bridge length. But as you shorten your bridge length, hip pinch, which is basically pressure felt on the point of your hips, will increase. So imagine like sitting in a kid's playground swing. If you were to reach up as high as you could and pull those two chains together, you're gonna feel a little bit of pressure on the side of your hips. But as you work your hand closer and closer to your body, that is gonna become increasingly more to a point where it becomes uncomfortable. Once you find that point, you can back up about a hand's width basically, four inches or so. And then say, okay, this is how long I need my bridge because that's what's an acceptable amount of comfort for that person. And a lot of it has to do with kind of how wide your hips are. The wider the hips, the longer the bridge length is going to need to be um, because basically what it's doing is it's a triangle and it's pulling the two uh, side angles together. So the wider that base of that triangle is, the more pressure you're going to feel, the narrower it is, the less pressure you're going to feel.
1: Yeah. For me, I think the the place I've kind of settled on for my personal bridge height or my personal tether height is right around eye level, give or take. I can be between nose and top of my head and not really have any complaints at all. And then one thing that I kind of discovered was that when I was first sort of getting used to the saddle, uh, a longer bridge suited me well. Uh, but basically, the more I hunted out of it, the more I could adjust that bridge length and basically have comfort no matter what I did. It was like, once I got used to hunting out of the saddle, I had a lot larger wiggle room of settings for bridge length and tether height that I could comfortably hunt out of versus when I first got at that initial day, it was like, I had to have it pretty close to ideal.
0: And that's, that's something that's kind of become coined as tether shape or saddle shape. You know, your body's not used to feeling pressure in these areas because you're not used to hunting from a saddle. Um, You know, a lot of that, especially for people who like to lean, like having their knees against the tree, if they're, or if they're sitting kind of with their knees against the tree, your knees will be real sore the first few times you hunt. But once you do it enough, your knees kind of build up a tolerance to that. And you won't even notice any issues with your knees being on the tree. So it's the same thing for the saddle. Once your body kind of gets used to feeling the pressure in those areas, it kind of gets acclimated or accustomed to that pressure and you don't feel it as much anymore. So therefore you're range of comfort level can be adjusted, like you said, because you can now move your tether or tree strap height six or eight inches higher or lower and still be comfortable.
1: I guess uh, for people who are currently hunting out of a tree stand and they're still trying to think about maybe getting the saddle, it's a big investment. What advantages does somebody get when they go to a saddle and they've spent a little bit of time in their backyard or whatever to figure it out and get comfortable with the movements, what kind of advantages can they expect over their typical hang on tree stand or climber?
0: So you get a little bit of a weight advantage. Um, you know, would you go to a saddle, a saddle, a complete Kestrel systems, three and a half pounds, you add a platform or a ring of steps, you're looking at two pounds. Um, so basically you're looking at five and a half pounds for a complete system, um, that would replace a, you know, eight and a half pound lock on tree stand. Um, where you get pretty close to equal in weight is when you start looking at climbing tree stands compared to a saddle, a platform and your climbing method. But then with a climbing tree stand, you're restricted to straight trees or pole like trees that have no limbs. So you get a little bit of a weight advantage with the saddle, um, compared to a tree stand, but you get versatility. Um, you can literally hunt any tree out there as long as you can find a spot to put your tree strap in basically. So you don't have to look for straight trees you can do the same thing with something like a hang-on tree stand um, you know but you're also looking at where that opening might be that you're going to hang your tree stand if it's on the front side you know maybe a tree stands better for that particular position where if that opening is kind of to the side or on the back it's more beneficial for a saddle you're also getting the less bulk basically so with a saddle it'll pack down you can stick it inside of a backpack with a tree stand, you're carrying that tree stand on your back, your climbing sticks on your back. You're walking through the woods, hitting every limb that's out there with that hollow square tubing, and it sounds like a cowbell going off as you're walking through thick brush or ripping through briars. With the saddle, I can throw my saddle on. I can wear it from the truck in, you know, and it's three and a half pounds, fits around my waist. You really don't feel it when it's on. Also, you can stuff that in that backpack, and you actually have a spot to put a backpack on. You know, when you're carrying a tree stand, you got to typically strap your backpack to the back of your tree stand because your tree stands on your shoulders with a saddle. You have that backpack on. Even if you're wearing your Kestrel, you can throw that backpack on over your Kestrel basically because it's above the waist where the Kestrel is just below the waist. So it gives you more versatility to walk in.
1: And how about once you're actually up in the tree?
0: So yeah, I was thinking on the way in, but yeah, you get 360 degree shooting. Um, so if you're using a ring of steps, for example, you know, you can literally walk your way all the way around the tree, counterclockwise, clockwise, you have no spot where you can't shoot to. Um, and this is kind of a, an interesting topic because you get into a platform, uh, your, I feel a platform restricts the saddle usage. Um, because you can't walk around the tree as much as if you had a ring of steps. Obviously, if you have a ring of steps, it's going to be a little bit more motion to move into position to get that shot compared to with a platform. But you have that full range of shooting. I've actually got a video that I put up on my YouTube channel of a comparison of shooting between a tree stand and a saddle. Um, I had a guy sit just below me in a lone wolf climbing stand, and then I sat literally right above him with a kestrel, and we shot um, a shot at every two o'clock. So 12, two, four, six, eight, and 10. So you can see how much movement's required to move into position to take each one of those shots.
1: One thing that I've kind of noticed for me is that when I'm doing like an early season sit on like a bed hunt or something where it's very targeted and I have a specific area where I anticipate the deer is going to be, I can set up so that I'm basically nearly out of sight and I can watch just off the side of the tree on where that deer is going to come out. And I'm, there's really no profile that can catch that deer's eye, right? Unless I do something to really blow it versus a tree stand in that type of scenario. I'm on the front side of the tree. When that deer does come out on that trail, regardless of which method I'm using, if it's a saddle or a tree stand, if it's set up properly, I really don't have to do any movement at all. It's basically the deer's going to walk to my strong side. I draw back the bow, I shoot. And that's the ideal case scenario. And in, in that case, I think a, a platform is very well suited and depending on how you use the platform, I think the platform can be used for 360 degree shooting, but it's a little bit harder than with a ring of steps where it seems to me, a ring of steps comes in handy is if you're hunting in areas where maybe it's a rut hunter, you're hunting a, a funnel or something where you could have deer coming at any location around the tree, right? And then you're hunting way up high in the tree, 25, 30 feet you can use that ring of steps and you're kind of in a position high enough up where you're more so out of sight. And then that movement doesn't necessarily cause the the game to spook quite as much.
0: Yeah. So the, that's one I always forget is basically using the tree as a blocker between you and the deer. Um, And this is, you know, even if you use a ring of steps, even if that deer, you see that deer coming in from somewhere where, you know, you weren't expecting it, you can move your body to keep that tree between you and the deer. It's, I think it's one of John Eberhardt's favorite things about the saddle is that you can move around the tree to keep that tree between you and the deer because he likes to hunt a lot of destination locations, so apple trees, things like that. So he'll set up where that tree is between him and the apple tree. So if does come in to feed around, um, you know, he's not spooking those deer. Doze by, like you said, being sticking off the side of the tree. Like if you were in a traditional tree stand, basically you'd literally be hanging off the side of the tree. So those deer could see you now he's behind the tree where they, he can't be seen. Then once the deer targeted a deer that he wants comes in, he can lean around that tree and take that shot. And with the ring of steps, you know, the benefit over the platform in that situation is you can always move to keep that tree between you and the deer. So if the deer even comes in behind you, you know, with the ring of steps, you can walk to the other side of the tree be on the back side of the tree as that deer's coming in as it comes in that tree's always
1: in between you yeah I've, I've used both I've used the platform and the ring of steps for me I, I personally like the platform and you're more of a ring of steps guy but part of the reason too is that I film and I personally find find self-filming to be a little bit easier with the platform versus a ring of steps um, but that also brings up another good point is that since you can kind of walk around the tree and, and use that tree as a block, it makes it a really good option for a cameraman too.
0: Yeah. I, that's something that I always talk to people about is I don't see why saddles aren't used to film the a hunt basically. So you see filming hunts is getting really big now. If you were, had your cameraman in a saddle, like a Kestrel, you could easily have a ring of steps slightly above your hunter. And you could always have that perfect over the shoulder shot where you're looking right over the bow hunter's shoulder. You see the shot every time because you can walk 360 degrees around the tree. So whichever way the hunter goes, you can go right behind him. Um, even if he's shooting back behind the, the cameraman, the cameraman could easily walk around the tree and be behind him shooting that same direction. So you have that perfect over the shoulder shot.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. In terms of the fabric that's used currently in the Kestrel, there's two layers of Cordura right now, right? And I just saw today that you posted that there's a mesh offering.
0: Yeah, so we've been testing a mesh option this past year. Um, obviously the two layers of cordura fabric are heavy, um, and cordura fabric is naturally noisy, um, at the beginning, uh, once you get it, it's kind of loud, but once you, once that fabric kind of gets worn in, it's relatively quiet, but the issue becomes early season, these 90 degree hunting in the South days, um, you know, you want as little fabric as possible. You want it to be as light as possible. So we've been testing a mesh version. The biggest concern we had once we started testing the mesh version was what is the durability of that mesh in, uh, briars in rough terrain, basically. So we tested it this past year to make sure that that fabric was going to hold up to what we expected it to. because um, we didn't want to release something, not having tested that mesh fabric and, you know, get it out and find out in this season, it doesn't hold up to briars or something like that.
1: Yeah. And I guess I should say at this point that I was one of those testers. I had a mesh casual in addition to my Cordura one and one of the marshes that I hunt a lot, there are areas where it is very thick with thorns um, and it's kind of a pain to walk from one location to another. You got to go really slow. You got to kind of bushwhack and, and pull things away so you don't get smacked in the face and get all scraped up and bloodied. And I always wear my kestrel on my body. I never pack it in a pack when I'm walking and I'm always wearing it because I don't really feel it. So it's like, why would I do that extra step once I'm at the tree? Why not just wear it? And then I can just start climbing once I get to the tree. Even in that type of scenario, uh, I would have like some of the nylon webbing. You could see that it would start to get fuzzy from all those thorns beating it up. But that mesh on the actual seat itself held up fairly well. It doesn't even look like it's used at this point.
0: Yeah, that's. I was really impressed when I seen yours was that, like you said, the webbing... Showed a lot of fraying from being ripped through the briars, which obviously you, you have to expect from that. Um, there's really nothing you can do about that unless get an really extremely tight weave webbing, which is not necessarily the best. But to look at the webbing compared to the wear on the mesh was, like you said, it the mesh looked brand new compared to the webbing, which was frayed. And you know most of the people who had them um, had the same results. You know most of theirs weren't as tore up as bad as yours. Uh, but that showed that the mesh that we picked and that we designed worked. Um, you know, the mesh we picked is like a two-way stretch mesh and that way it stretches a little bit from top to bottom. Um, so it kind of creates a bigger pocket for your butt to sit in.
1: And that mesh Kestrel also didn't have the quick release buckles on mine. Is that the plan moving forward? Yes.
0: Yeah. So we tested out some different buckles on some different ones. Um, you know, one of the big things, people say the buckles weigh too much and they the quick release buckles on the Kestrel are too heavy, which they are. So when we went with this mesh model, we wanted to find something that was light. You know, when we developed the Kestrel, the quick release buckles were a huge request that we got. Once we put quick release buckles on there, everybody who didn't want quick release buckles came out and said, why did you put quick release buckles on there? So even with this mesh Kestrel, they're a, I can't even think of the name of them now. I just spaced out, but they're a I would call wouldn't call them a quick release, but they're a buckle that you can open up. So you don't have to step through your saddle. Um, they're similar to buckles that were used on something like the old, uh, Um, safety harnesses. So it's like a a rectangle. And then it's got a, like a three bar slider that fits through there. And then you can pull it tight. The great thing about these buckles is that if people don't want the buckles to be quick release, they can simply wrap a piece of tape around there and tape the buckles together. they're still adjustable, but they don't make any noise and you don't have to have them as a quick release buckle. And on the waist buckle, we went to a, a thread through buckle. So you can completely unthread it all the way. Um, It's not a snap together buckle. And then it just feeds through similar to like what a belt buckle would.
1: Yeah. And that overall makes it a lot lighter. It makes it a lot more breathable for hot weather, early season type hunts, which is a huge advantage for Southern guys. Um, The only thing that I noticed with mine is that when I wore that mesh Kestrel all the way into our gun season here in Minnesota, my behind would start to get a little bit chilly uh, just because when you're sitting in a saddle, obviously the insulation on the back of your bibs or your pants or whatever is getting compressed. And so because that insulation was compressed, I would get that cold air moving across my backside and I could feel a little bit of a chill there that I didn't get quite as much with the Cordura.
0: Just like with a hammock, you know, if you're using a, a sleeping bag in a hammock, you compress that insulation behind you. You're obviously, that cold air is going to pull the heat right off your butt, right off your back. Um, so because of this, you weren't the only person who had that issue. Um, we're actually got a prototype that we've been testing and looking at is a, basically an underquilt for your saddle. So it will attach to your Kestrel, either Kestrel, whether it's the mesh or the Kadura Kestrel, it will attach to either one of them to basically provide you with insulation on the outside of your Kestrel so that it will help keep your butt warm in those situations. So that way you don't have to basically have two Kestrels. You can buy a mesh Kestrel or you can buy the regular Kestrel and then use this extra extra insulation layer. So you can hunt with your mesh Kestrel, up through, you know, in the south, all the way through October, November. But then, if you take a a rut hunt up in Iowa or somewhere where it's going to be cold, you can simply attach this under quilt to the butt of the saddle and be able to hunt from it and help keep your butt insulated and keep it warm.
1: That's something I'm looking forward to. Do you know any of the specifics, like what kind of insulation is going to be used, what kind of material the fabric is going to be? Is it going to be offered in camo?
0: So that's. The camo, it'll probably be offered in camo. Where that's kind of the the, the final stages is it's you're gonna maybe able to pick a camo pattern, uh, maybe able to pick a solid color similar to like on a Cordura. We're not sure if we're going to go with Cordura yet, or if we're going to go with maybe even a fleece on the outside of it. Um, but it's going to be uh, Apex style insulation. I don't know that it's exactly Apex insulation, so it's a woven synthetic insulation. Um, and part of what we're trying to decide is if it's going to be one layer or two layers thick, um, that's kind of the final stages of it right now is figuring
1: out what we're going to need for that. Yeah. I suppose it kind of varies based on everybody's particular needs. There's not going to be one easy answer.
0: Yeah, that's, and that's the hardest part that we've come across is, you know, like saddles, you know, is, does camo sell more than green, you know, is solid colors work fine. So that's kind of the biggest issue that we've had is figuring out what material we want for the outside shell of that. You know, it'd be great to be able to have different camos that you could swap out your insulation for. So basically you have a camo shell you can put on your, your mesh Kestrel or even your gray Kestrel that you already
1: have. You know, you could put a, a camo shell on the outside of it. So, Yeah, and I think one thing that's important to know, too, is that even though when it got cold, you could feel a chill there, it wasn't like that chill was bad enough to make you get down out of the tree, right? If I was going to get down out of the tree, it was because my whole body was was cold. It wasn't because of that, you know, one little inconvenience.
0: It was something that through the year-long testing that people mentioned a few times was, hey, I noticed my butt got a little bit cold. And, you know, especially you, because you were up there hunting in some frigid, frigid cold days. Um, you know, you're like, hey man, my butt's getting cold, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from a couple people
1: now. So, well, it's it's cool that you guys are going to be offering that. Is it going to attach into the the male system? Yeah, so
0: it'll attach to a couple different areas, so that way it's held tight, um, kind of up against the saddle, but it may also have a little bit of adjustability, so that if you need, if you may not want it tight, going all the way in, you want a little bit of airflow through there. You can walk in and have a little bit of air throw between that insulation and your mesh saddle. But then once you get up and get sitting up, you can kind of snug that
1: up tight, kind of up against your butt exactly where you want it. Yeah, that makes sense. On my underquilt for my hammock, you have shot cords to kind of give you the ability it, to snug it up nice, tight up against that hammock fabric. So there's no air Yeah, gap. you think
0: about it. A saddle is really not that much different than a hammock from that aspect. So, you know, obviously when we started hearing butts were cold, what do we do? We look to the hammock world. It's like, hey, why don't we make an underquilt for this thing?
1: Yeah. It makes total sense. It, it's interesting. You kind of draw the parallels to hammock forums or hammock camping, because there are a lot of parallels, not only in the, the systems themselves, but I also kind of see a little bit of parallels between like the type of people that are naturally gravitated towards hammock camping and saddle hunting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just look at when we went to Saddlepalooza, I was amazed by the number of people who were hammock camping there. I'm like, man, this is crazy. But then you look at it, it's pretty similar to saddle hunting. So they kind of go hand in hand because it's a piece of fabric that's holding
1: your butt up in the air. Yeah, and kind of the the thing about like people who are used to sleeping in tents would look at somebody who's hammock camping and saying, how can that be comfortable? How can that... How can that work? How can you sleep in something like that? You get you know, they start drawing all these these possible negatives that people in the hammock world have already figured out and they're perfectly happy with what they have and they prefer it now to sleeping in regular tents. And kind of the same thing with saddles. There's so many guys that have gone from tree stands to saddles and have you know gotten through that small learning curve and now they like it more than when they had hunted with tree stands. I mean if like you said, you look at it, it's shockingly how similar it is. I think the biggest advantage for me personally, and I still have my lone wolf. There may be certain situations where I will still use that just based on 100% the specific setup. If there's a specific tree where I need to be on a specific side of the tree to get a shot with minimal movement on like a bed hunt or something, and the the right place to put that platform is on a certain side of the tree that favors a tree stand, then it makes sense to use a tree stand. But it's like for everything else, I kind of lean towards the saddle more.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, thinking about it, if you're hunting like over a food plot or over a bait pile or something and you have like a a small hole cut in the cedar tree that's facing that corn pile or that food plot, you know, that's somewhere where a tree stand is obviously going to be better than a saddle because you need to be sitting in that spot facing in front of you, shooting in front of you. Whereas with a saddle, you need to be on the backside of that cedar tree, and you're going to have to cut a lot of limbs off that cedar tree to be able to make a shot to that same area. So there are very, very few spots where a tree stand makes more sense than a saddle, but there are those spots. And like you, you know, I haven't hunted from a tree stand in, I don't even know, since 2005, probably 2006, maybe, Um, you know, but I have crap. I probably got nine summit tree stands that have been sitting in my barn since then that have never been used.
1: Cause once I figured out a saddle, it was literally the only thing that I needed. I have some video footage somewhere on one of my old computers, I think, um, like standard definition, real old video footage of when I was using the lone wolf assassin. And I would basically be in some of those real low kind of gnarly marsh trees. And I would be on the backside of the tree and have bucks walk just like seven, eight yards on the other side of the tree when I'm 10 feet off the ground and they never knew I was there.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite saddle kills, most memorable saddle kills for me was I shot a doe one time in this, it was an old cut over. It was basically, um, sweet gum trees that were about the size of maybe a 32 ounce Gatorade bottle at the bottom. But then where I was hunting was about 12 to 15 feet, they were probably smaller than a 20 ounce soda bottle. And I was hunting right on this heavy trail. And this was with the Osage orange self bow. This doe came down this trail. And I remember leaning out because she was on my left. I remember leaning out to shoot her. And as I leaned, the whole tree leaned with me. And my shot went from about four (laughs) yards at the ground to almost straight down on top of her by the time the tree (laughs) stopped leaning. Because as we leaned, I was like, I hope this tree holds and shot her straight down. Uh, She went like 30 yards and piled up. And that's my most memorable saddle hunt because it was on public land. Nobody else could get in there to hunt because there was no trees big enough. So I snuck in there with a the saddle and I was I was just like so excited about that hunt. It's my favorite hunt ever.
1: On the Saddle Hunter podcast with the, with Taylor Chamberlain, that episode, he had mentioned on one of his shots, he had kind of stuck his feet up against the trunk of the tree and pushed himself out to get him out away from the tree even further so that he could get a shot that he never would have got any other way.
0: Yeah. They're so
1: versatile, especially once you're hunting, uh, there's just so many things you can do. Well, and like we've mentioned before on the podcast, there are times when you get to a spot and you're like, it's either too late or there's not enough visibility for the canopy. I just need to be on the ground. And you can just take that tether, wrap it around the tree at ground level and just sit there behind the tree totally inconspicuous and that works pretty well too yeah instead of you know kicking out uh, leaves
0: off the ground and sitting on the ground and then be restricted to the only way you're sitting like you said you can just put your tree strap on the tree and be you know a foot and a half off the ground and be hunting right there and use the ground to walk around the tree you don't even need a platform I did that a lot with my flintlock you know I've got a like a 67 or 68 inch flintlock 50 caliber flintlock and a lot of my in-season scouting with that flintlock was just walking through the woods and be like, I'm going to sit here for a little while. Just sit down, sit in my kestrel and look around. Okay, well, I've sat here for about two hours. We're going to move somewhere else.
1: So And then you can use the trunk of the tree as a, a gun rest.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's Shooting with a firearm from it's pretty easy. Um, you know, A lot of the uh, kestrel development was done with a uh, feral pig removal that I did. So, you know, I would sit, spend nights, literally spend the night, go out in the tree at, you know, seven 30, at night and sit and sleep in my Kestrel all night long, waiting for a pig to show up.
1: And then if the pig showed up, I'd shoot it. If not, I'd sleep in my Kestrel all night. Did you have a backband or did you just kind of lean forward and sleep against the bridge? No, I
0: had a backband. So I would have my, my 300 blackout um, on a sling across my chest. And I would just lean back against my, my back band and go to sleep. And, you know, I had a cellular trail camera. This was all for work. So that would send me a, a picture if something came to that bait site. So then I just basically unzip my jacket, look at my phone. It's a pig or it's a raccoon or whatever it is. And once it's a pig, then I just unclip my backband, raise up my gun and that'd be it. So I've, I've spent a lot of nights sleeping in a Kestrel. So they're good to sleep in.
1: (laughs) I've taken little naps in my Kestrel too, but usually when I've done it, I've always just kind of leaned forward and pressed my face up against the bridge and just kind of taken a snooze that way. I
0: I have a prototype pillow that attaches to a bridge of a Kestrel somewhere. Um, I don't know that's ever going to go into production, but (laughs) it works well. Spend a little too much time sleeping than
1: hunting. So, but it can be done. One thing I noticed, I've I played around, experimenting with my bridge a little bit, and I tried different materials for the bridge other than just the, the standard Predator rope that comes with the castro. And one thing I noticed with something like Amsteel is that it digs into your forehead a little bit too much for that to be comfortable.
0: That's part of the reason I run my bridge longer than most people, is that when I do lean forward, um, I don't want that cold carabiner touching my face. So my carabiner actually lands above my head. So that when I lean forward, not only do I have kind of the, the point of the bridge to rest like my face against, but that cold carabiner doesn't touch my face because there's nothing worse than being like tired and then leaning forward and
1: touching that cold carabiner to your face. It will wake you up really quickly. Yeah. I'd liked to have my, um, my bridge up long enough so that the carabiner was high enough for that to do that as well. Um, and I always like to, when I walk, lengthen the bridge out so that I could actually drape it over my shoulders. See, I just clip mine to the side and don't worry about it, but... Yeah, I'm just so used to... Everything goes over my shoulders. My alignment belt, I put it over my shoulders. The bridge, <laughs> I would put it over my shoulders. The only thing that I would take off and kind of daisy chain up would be the actual tether.
0: And see, that's what's so great about saddle hunting, the versatility of it. I mean, you can do that. You can throw it over your your head because you like it or over your shoulder. You know, me, I just daisy chain everything up to where it's as small as possible. And then just let it flop around. And it it doesn't bother me to have it flopping around. Some people that might bother, you know, you can take this stuff, you can make it completely removable. You can take it up and stuff it in a, a sack or a pouch on your saddle or in your backpack, even, you know, so that's adds to the versatility of the saddle all the way around.
1: Yeah. When I do a lot of walking through cattails or, you know, tall grass weeds brush, that type of stuff, I always like to try and keep my, my hips sort of clean and streamlined. So then I would put those things over my shoulders to kind of keep them out of the way. And then nothing could get caught really as I would walk. And then I have the backpack, the backpack's got the climbing sticks. It's got my camera gear, anything else I would need for that day. And then everything's super streamlined. I can get down and crawl underneath stuff if I need to. And it works really well.
0: Yeah. see a lot of people, some people run pouches on their saddle Um, you know, I used to when I hunted from a trophy line because it had shoulder straps, so I could use those shoulder straps to help keep it up. But with the Kestrel, you know, kind of the way we designed it was we kind of streamlined that obviously it doesn't have shoulder straps, but you can almost get too much weight on the Kestrel so that it doesn't carry very easily on your waist. Um, so, even though we do have two rows of molle webbing across there, so you can attach pouches, we tried to keep most of those pouches around the back side of the saddle to keep your side streamlined. And the way the waist belt is on the Kestrel, it carries the weight better to carry it on the back of the saddle compared to on the side of the saddle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't really use pouches much, but when I used my rock harness and sit drag, I tried using a pouch tied onto the rock harness. And when I did that, then the sit drag would always kind of compress against it. And it would always kind of interfere. So then I figured I would just get rid of the pouch and wear the the straps on my my shoulders. And then I kind of just carry that over to when I got the Kestrel. So I just never really, once I started using it, I never really got into the whole, um, the pouch thing. Yeah. The only pouch you have on yours is on the front, right? And it's a small pouch. Yeah. I've never seen anybody do that. It literally just, it's a pouch just big enough to carry my utility strap that I put around the tree. and That utility strap just has a little clock on it and it's got two hooks, one for my pack, one for my bow. And then it's got a little attachment for a camera that I can face down to record my hunts from above. And then I have a retractable laner that I added on for a grunt to, but that's all that stuff's easily removable off the strap. And that's literally all that I'll keep in that little pouch. It's right there with an easy access. So when I climb the tree with my climbing sticks or whatever I'm gonna use, get to hunting height, I can just take that strap right out, put it on the tree, connect my bridge and everything else. And I'm good to go.
0: Yeah. When I seen that, that was genius. I'd never seen anybody put a, um, you basically took a Kuyu backpack pouch, I guess, and you bought it when they were on clearance for like a dollar, um, and slid it on the front part, just to the, I think it was on the left side of your buckle, basically, So, that you could reach in there and get those essentials. And, you know, that's a great idea because whether that be, you know, somebody could use that for their bow hanger, their accessory holder, whatever, you know, it's right there in front of you. It's
1: a great place for it. Yeah. And I keep it on my left side because I'm left handed. I like to try and keep the right side of my body as totally clean as possible because that's the side I'll be shooting my, my bow on. Oh, that makes sense. I was
0: sitting here doing that. Like,
1: okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Every time I'd have any kind of accessory at all, it would always be on my my draw hand side so it would be out of the way of the shot
0: which makes sense and bringing up shooting a lot of people may think that you know the saddle could get in the way the bridge could get in the way of your shooting um you know i shoot you know up to a i think my recurve now is 58 inches i've shot up to a 67 inch longbow mm-hmm. out of a kestrel um, and i've never had any string interference And that's one of the good things about a kestrel or a saddle over like a traditional tree stand, especially with a longer style traditional bow, is that because not only you can lean away from the tree, but you can kind of turn your hips. So you can square your hips and square your shoulders. And what that does is that gets your bow out and away from the tree and your steps or your platform, whatever you're using. You know, with most tree stands, when you're trying to shoot a a traditional bow, you gotta worry about like a shooting rail or even your bottom limb hitting the platform that you're standing on with a saddle. You do not have that issue because you can get so far out away from the tree. If you want to, that you don't have that issue of having to worry about interference with your limbs.
1: Yeah. And you can basically position your body so that your, your whole body is angled out away from the tree and you can get a lot easier T form with your upper body for a good chop or yeah, good shot, uh, execution. With the tree stand, your lower body is totally fixed either you're going to be sitting down or you're going to be standing up and then you kind of bend at the waist is kind of the way that everybody's taught to do it. And I don't think that everybody necessarily has the best hip mobility and, and spinal mobility to be able to bend totally at the hips for some of those closer shots. And I know when I hunted with my 68 inch longbow out of a, a traditional hang on tree stand on those close shots, I would always have issues with the, the string actually contacting my thigh on those, you know, less than 10 yard shots. But with the saddle, it's a non issue because your hips are totally out of the equation. And it's a lot easier to get that nice angle with your torso.
0: With traditional bows, is where I think the ring of steps is a lot more important than a platform because you can get your shoulders and your hips square so that you get full extension with your body so that you get to a consistent anchor point every time. You know, with a platform, if you try to like, you know, go over the bridge or, you know, lean to that side, you're going to be prone to short drawing your bow um, and not being able to get that full expansion throughout your body. Whereas with your, with your ring of steps, you can always, you know, whether you move to the left or to the right, you can always keep your shoulders and your hips square so that you can get that full expansion.
1: Yeah. I think I would tend to agree with that a little bit. It can be done with the platform. You just got to really pay attention and do some practicing with it. Either Method with a compound bow is super easy, right? There's like, yeah, I hunted out of a a trad bow, hunted with a trad bow all last year. And every time that I'd be in a tree, I'd be thinking, man, if I go back to a compound at some point, this would be just so easy to get a shot off any direction.
0: Yeah, because a compound bow, you have the back wall, so it stops. You know, you're at full draw, you know, everything's consistent with a traditional bow, especially if you're not running a clicker or something like that. You know, you may not realize that you're not getting a full expansion. Right. And that you're not at full draw and short drawing it. You're obviously
1: probably more than likely going to miss, miss low. So, yeah. And so I think it's important regardless of whether you're hunting with a tree stand or a saddle to be able to practice in the actual system that you're going to be using, take some shots and try and figure out if you are getting into situations where your form is suffering and then figure out how to fix it.
0: Saddle hunting's come a long ways and it's, it's not done. I'll say that there's a lot of a lot of growth in saddle hunting, um, a lot of product design development in saddle hunting and it will continue to grow. Like I said, we're just getting bigger and bigger by the day. So, you know, who knows what's next for saddle hunting?
1: Yeah. I mean, even since I found out about, it, I mean, I guess I've known about it for a long time, but since I've really started to get involved in the community, it seems like it's just been exploding over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting bigger. Um, you know, there's, we're even still developing. I mean, if you're not developing, you're falling behind. So, you know, we're developing always, always looking for the next best thing, the next, the next Kestrel, the next model, um, you know, when, or if they come, you don't know, but, you know, we've got different things that are out there that we're looking at now, um, just to see if they'll ever make a product. They may never make a product. Like I said, I mean, I've probably got probably just to the Kestrel alone, I would guess I've probably got 18 to 20 prototypes just to get to the Kestrel over three years. That's not including to the evolution, you know, and since then. So,
1: so then I guess, are there any other things on the horizon that you're kind of excited about or things that we haven't talked about to this point that you'd like to add in? Um,
0: not at this time (laughs) there's, there's always things happening. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how the world shakes out. See what products we come out of prototype to, to development basically. Okay. So for now, that's what I've got. Awesome. So if you guys are interested in, in looking at a Kestrel, you can obviously go to my YouTube channel. Um, you can check out Garrett's. I know he's about to do a review of his Kestrel. Um, You can check out the Arrow Hunter Facebook page or the Arrow Hunter website, and it's arrowhunter.us, and that's A-E-R-O,
1: Hunter, all one word, U-S. That'll wrap up this week's episode. Arrow Hunter is a sponsor of our podcast, and we're certainly grateful for their continued support. As Bobby mentioned several times throughout the podcast, many of the features that make their way into the saddles are a direct result of feedback and requests from actual users so a big shout out goes to the whole saddle hunting community we continue to grow at a rapid pace be sure to follow the sportsman's nation podcast network on social media and go ahead and leave the network a review on itunes thanks for listening